hello, everybody. Hope everybody's doing good and that uh, out there in podcast land, you are having a gloriously wonderful day. This is Todd Nicewanger. I'm uh, I'm the lead shepherd here at Cornerstone Church. We are gathering together today just to kind of talk about a specific issue out of First Thessalonians, which we're going to talk about holiness, but this is Beyond Sunday. And our whole heart in Beyond Sunday, like we say it every week, is we believe God's Word is amazing. And we believe God's Word has some amazing truths about it, some idealism that we get to focus on and use as a means to which which to direct our lives. But we also believe the best way to begin to land it is in and through the local church, specifically in relationships. So I'm here today with uh, my two partners in crime. Uh, Both Spencer and Christian are here, Mm -hmm. and so we're going to have... Just a little bit of a discussion uh, about what Christian preached on uh, this past week. So we're pretty excited about it. So let me just kind of lay a little bit of a framework, and then we'll we'll turn you loose, Christian, to kind of help us understand, like, why is this issue of holiness so important for us to, to grapple with as far as being followers of Jesus? So cool. in the book of 1 Thessalonians, Paul has been writing a letter in which he's been really just recounting their shared life together. He talks about what it was when he landed the gospel into their community, what it was like after he left for not only him, but for them. And one of the big issues is that Paul finds out that I think is so powerful is that his ministry wasn't in vain, that this group of people came to life. The Spirit of God renewed them, uh, brought them into the family, and they became the people that God intended to be for that particular area. And two key words that seem to step out are, are this idea of hope. Uh, based in around God's faithfulness, God's good <clears throat> for us. But also this idea of boldness seems to carry us through chapters 2 and 3. But where we really get to in verses 11 through 13 of chapter 3 are the the three main areas that we're going to be looking at for mm-hmm. the next few weeks. One of them that Christian looked at last week was holiness. Uh, that's found in a little little blurb in verse 13 that you can look at if you got your Bible in front of you. Uh, this coming week we're going to talk about brotherly love, which is found in verse 12. But then we're also going to talk about the return of Jesus Christ. And let me just say this, he includes with the saints. And Mm -hmm. so I can't wait to talk about what that is. But this is the direction Paul's been going. And he's been trying to help this group of people to really grapple with who they are and who God's called them to be in their particular area of the world. And so this last week, we talked about not only holiness, Mm -hmm. but specifically, we talked about also holiness in its connection with sexual brokenness. So we'll talk about holiness this time, and then we'll connect it into sexual brokenness in our in our next podcast. But Christian, why don't you just lay out for us? Like, why why is this topic, besides that it's said over and over and over again, why, why is it that this topic of holiness is so important for us as the church to really begin to grapple with and understand? Yeah, I think that I think that holiness is one of those things because it's especially maybe for us, um, we we don't we live in a very like egalitarian oriented society. There's not a lot of huge separations between classes of people. Um, other other cultures, there might be a lot more separation between like those who are seen as higher or different or ho- holy in some ways. Um, and so I think it's one of those things where we have a a cultural value, which I don't even entirely disagree with of that sense of, no, we can, we can all interact with each other and we don't have to have this weird sense of untouchability between classes of people, but it does confuse something like this for us of what does it mean to be holy, to be set apart? And we can start to, we also live in a very individualistic culture. So it's more about me having this 
maybe status of holiness for myself and not necessarily what am I supposed to do with it? Is, is it a status that we attain to or does it have a greater functionality in our life? And that's where I think when I, when I see the way that holiness language occurs throughout scripture, you know, on Sunday, I distinguish between this idea of God as the one who is holy, 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 but then also God is the one who makes holy, who, who takes other things and especially people and sets them apart, creates distinctions between them. And we talked to this about, about this idea of, of a purpose, that there's always a purpose that God is seeking to accomplish when he, when he sets something or someone apart. And, and especially with people, it's the sense of come join me in seeking that purpose. And so I think when we encounter so much holiness language like we do in this section of 1 Thessalonians, I mean, he says it once in chapter uh, 3, verse 13, and then he uses it four different times in, in verses mm-hmm. 1 through 8 of chapter 4. He's saying, this is important. Pay attention to this. And I think what should trigger in our minds is, okay, if it says that God's will is our growth and holiness, um, it's that sense of, okay, what's the purpose? What is it that God's calling me to join him in? in this pursuit of holiness, not just how do I um, somehow just stay clean or, or it's not just a static reality. There's, there's something of a, there's a partnership that's laced into the very idea of holiness. So let me ask a question then. So what's the, from your perspective, what's the danger of only seeing it in that kind of moral component, right? Like what, what is the danger of that, that it's only a moral issue when we talk about holiness? Um, I think the danger is like, we don't really have what we don't do anything with it. Mm-hmm. It's what what point does it have? Yeah, it's more what we what we don't do. Yeah, yeah, that's very true. What we yeah. do. Well, yeah. holiness becomes the end, mm-hmm. right? Versus the means for which God is well, it's setting the pur- out. It's the purpose, right? Yeah, holiness is actually not just the end. It's the it also defines the purpose for what we are to be doing. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So, so that's the question I would have: is what is it that we are to be doing? Like. I totally agree. God has, God has called us to be holy. Mm-hmm. That's we're set apart for a purpose. What's the purpose? What's the purpose? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that the the through line that you see throughout Scripture from the moment, like like for instance in Genesis twelve, where God calls Abraham into this relationship with Him, it says, "Leave your father and mother and your country and go to the land that I'm going to show you. I'm setting you apart from the rest of your people group. You're gonna you're gonna come along with me and do this thing. I'm gonna be your God. You're you're gonna be in this relationship with me. I'm gonna bless you. I'm gonna make you into a great nation." Okay, but why? And then he says there at the end of verse 3 in Genesis 12, he says, because through you all the families on earth will be blessed. That the purpose of the holiness of Abraham and of his people that would come from it is they would be that channel of blessing to all nations. It was that sense they were called into a unique relationship with God to then represent God in their interactions with others. You see the same thing in Exodus 19 at, the, at Mount Sinai where God uses those two phrases that the, that the people of Israel would be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. He also says they'd be God's treasured possession, even though all the earth is mine, all the peoples are mine, but you have this unique purpose of being priests, of being these go-betweens, these ones who now live in a special relationship with me, not just to hoard that relationship, but now to represent me and and make me known to those around. So this is something I think in some ways fits with um, 
I think it, I, I would imagine, I picture you, Spencer, that if you talk in your sleep, what comes out is display God, put God on display. Because I think that's one of those things, even in the life of Cornerstone, that you've been so helpful in a lot of our lives to just say, that's right. The purpose of all of this is that we as God's people put God on display to those around us. I think that's at the, the central idea of what it means to be holiness. What, be holy. Why is holiness something we should pursue? Because God's called us into a relationship with him to put him on display. Yeah, I know you started at Genesis 12. In my head, I was like, oh, no, no, it goes all the way back to Genesis 1. Yeah, right. And sin screws that up and makes it harder. But yeah, going, man, what does it mean to be really human? It means to actually be an image bearer and we're reflecting God accurately. And while sin breaks that, God calls us to be holy and then provides a means for us to be holy so that we can accomplish that purpose yeah. of like true humanity. Yeah. Of, like, no, like be a redeemed image bearer. You know? Yeah. yeah Humanity's created to put God on display to live in relationship with him. Sin breaks all of that. We're alienated from God. So we can't put God on display in the way that he intended. And the whole purpose of redemption is the, is the, the redemption of that relationship and that calling of us as, as human people to do. So, yeah, man. Yeah. So, so when I frame holiness that way, it's like a lot more of a, excuse the, like no pun intended here. The holistic understanding of the word is yes. like, it's way bigger than just like, this moral aspect. Yeah, it affects all of life. Yeah. Not just not just this one single component of who I am. And right. just to add something to it, just, you know, Tina said that's not what comes out of him when he sleeps. <laughs> the noise is much more annoying. I just That's just what I heard. I want to clarify just for everybody. He's not that spiritual. I just want to make sure that we all, we all, we all know and clarify on that one. So, more okay. of a demonstration. Like, that's the only thing I actually know. It's the only horse in the stables. So yeah. like, <laughs> He's a one-trick like, pony. Like, that's, that's, a, all, that's a good one to have. That's a good man. trick. That's, that's a, a really good, good trick. That's all I got, man. Okay, so we already kind of went down our path into yeah. the next section a little bit, but I still think there's way more things for us to unpack. So so that there's nothing else unpacked here. We get to save a little little bit of ammo here for our next section. Let's go ahead and let's let's talk about kind of this broad picture, not only out of First Thessalonians, but let's stretch it out a little bit, kind of talk about about this idea of holiness. Okay. So that was uh, that gets us off kind of running why mm -hmm. this why this is such an important uh, uh, topic issue for us to really wrestle through. So maybe from the text here, why don't you set a direction for us so we can have a discussion through like, what is the, what is the idealism that's, that's, that's brought to bear in this, that we can maybe take some launches from to kind of look at this, this broader issue of, of holiness. For sure. I think that one of the things that I mentioned on Sunday, Sunday was that you have to see holiness as one of those already not yet realities. It's, there is a, a past, a present, and a future idea to it. And in the passage we were looking at, I mean, actually starting one verse before that in 3.13, he kind of sets out the perfect, He's the, the future tense, the sense of that God may establish your hearts blameless in holiness at the coming of the Lord Jesus with his saints. That's when the full establishment, he comes back in uh, chapter 5, 23 and 24 and says that, that, that the God of peace, may he fully may sanctify you completely at the coming of the Lord Jesus. So he, the first thing he kind of dangles out there is the, the future perfect reality. This will be a fully completed realized reality in our lives. I just said realized reality. I got to get a bit but more But I appreciated your capacity to put those together. Well, thank you. I appreciate yeah. that. And, and, but then in uh, chapter four, verse three, he says, the will of God is your sanctification from that same root word of holy, but it's a, it's an action word, a process oriented word. It's your, the will of God for your life right now is your ongoing growth yeah, in becoming holy. holy yeah. Right. Um, and so 
he, he starts with the future. He talks about the present. And then we also see that uh, back in uh, later on in verse 8, he says, whoever disregards this disregards not man but God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. That's, that's already happened to those of you who are in Christ. And so there's this sense of the, the, the Spirit who is holy has been given to you for your ongoing growth in becoming holy with the ultimate goal that at the return of Jesus, you will be perfected in that holiness. And so it's kind of that sense of wherever you're at, if you're a follower of Jesus, recognize this work of holiness has already begun in you. The way that Paul puts it in 1 Corinthians 6 is, 6 is that we were washed. In particular there, he's talking about sexual sin and saying you were washed of those things. You were sanctified and justified by the Spirit. That's already happened. This has already begun. It will be perfected at the return of Jesus. And so now in the middle, God's will is your ongoing growth in this. I think this is one of those moments where then each of us as followers of Jesus have our Garden of Gethsemane moment with a passage like this. Mm -hmm. If God's will is my ongoing growth and holiness, am I going to seek my will or am I going to seek to bring my will in line with God's? If God wants my ongoing growth in this holiness, then that's what he's calling me to join him in. That's what I need to set my sights on as well. It's, it's interesting. That almost the way you just phrased that, there's echoes of how he uses the word boldly hmm. there. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Of going, yeah. how am I, am I going to do what makes sense to me? Or am I going to actually boldly enter into kind of a new way of thinking? Yeah. A sense of, I'm not going to have, I'm not going to be able to just run on the tracks I've always run on. There's a different, again, that perspective shift here of, I need to go about this in a different way than I, than I naturally would. Yeah. Yeah, man. Hmm. So off of that, so let's, Let's take this a step further, kind of, okay, so we've laid out this idea that there's definitely um, God established mm -hmm. us in holiness. He will one day cement us as fully holy in his son, Jesus, right in the very end. He is currently, obviously, in all facets and forms of life in the progress, right? He he is working out his will, kind of each facet of our life, one area at a time almost, as we begin to be shaped and molded into the image of his son in holiness. Yeah. And so why, what, where do you see this playing out in something like First Thessalonians? Like, why do you think all of a sudden in this point in the letter, Paul goes, hey, I'm going to land this now at the very first discussion point after the linchpin, right? Like, where, where, you, you studied this out. Like, where do you, why do you think this is so crucial as he begins to move forward in all of his discussion? I think it's so tied to the imitation language that he used in chapter one and chapter two. This sense of you saw us come in, you saw me and Silas and Timothy come in and speak the gospel to you and then back it up with our lives. Uh, the, the character of our lives demonstrated the truth of the message that we were proclaiming. And then because you believed it, you began to imitate us. And that's why even though we've been away, we keep hearing these reports of how you're growing in your faith and your love for one another. And you are putting the good character of our God on display, but you're not finished yet. And so even in that way, I want to get back to you. That's what he says back in 3.11. May God get us there. We still want to come see you. But in the meantime, remember, you've been called into this holy relationship with God to represent him to those around you. And that's why he says there in verse 1, like we told you beforehand how you ought to walk to please God. And then later on in chapter 12, he says, this is then how you also learn to walk in an appropriate manner toward those outsiders, those outside the church. He's saying, this is what the life of the gospel is. It's not just a message that we believe, but the messengers become shaped by the message in a way that now we, we 
begin, not perfectly, but we begin to make the good character of our God known through the way our own characters so, develop. So connect the dot for me there, because it sounded like connect how he uses the idea of walking in chapter four, verse one mm -hmm. to the idea of holiness then, because you used them almost interchangeably. Yeah. But I don't know if that makes sense or not, but can you connect those for us? I think that, uh, again, because we're saying that holiness is not just a status or some static reality, some, some status that I attain to, but it's the, the manner of our lives, the way that we carry ourselves in our lives. I do think that the two of those are absolutely connected. He says the way that you now walk and obviously Throughout scripture, uh, Paul does as well. This word walk is used somewhat metaphorically just to refer to the whole, the whole conduct of our lives, that you live and act and speak and do and all of that in a way that pleases God and in a way that reflects him accurately. That's, that's holiness in practice. That's, that's how you take holiness off the shelf and actually make it the, the purposeful reality that it's meant to be. Say that one more time, that, that it's pleasing to God mm -hmm. and... What was the, the horizontal piece? He says, the way he says it there, and Todd will even get more into this this next Sunday, this idea of walking properly. You want to touch on that real quick? Like what that properly idea means? Yeah, well, it's 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 so so fascinating. So it's what he's referencing down to is in verse 12, which we're wrestling through right now. we're kind of in between yeah. the two. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're, because well, it really does bookend well, the whole bookends passage. Beautiful. Yeah. That's why like, like all of our view here is that it's one cohesive thought. It's not mm -hmm. multiple thoughts because he uses... The idea of, of right to, like he has in, in verse one, this idea to, to do so more and more. Well, he repeats it again later on down in verse 10, to do more and more. Well, but in verse one and verse 12, he uses that, that word to walk. And in it, in the first part of it, is we're walking in a way that pleases God. That's verse one. Well, then when you come down in verse 12 now is the modeling, the displaying God into the world so that the world might, and the, and the idea really has way more to do with down here, you know, not just kind of, you know, living a, a cool life or living a nice, decent life, but it actually has to do a lot with like living dignified, living the intent of God for what humanity was supposed to be. Yeah. And so the, the beautiful tie together, which I, you know, again, this is playing into your wheelhouse, Spencer, but this holiness is intended to be obviously to God, but then it's meant to be displayed into the world in which we live so that people might rightly see God and see God through the intent of how we were designed to be, right? We were intended mm -hmm. by God to display him well. And that's really what I think that word's encapsulating down in verse 12. And I think even too, if you look up at 312, I think there's something so cool up there. He says, now may the Lord cause you to increase and abound in love for one another for all, just as we do, so that your hearts are strengthened in holiness. Yep. There's an active nature to that, right? Where it's like, God makes us holy Holiness comes out of our lives. We live in this love we're called to that then strengthens us more in holiness. It's this beautiful yeah. like way in which God designed holiness where we grow into it, right? That's, the, yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. I just think that that one of the ideas we talked about on Sunday was that holiness is not another on the list of God's attributes, but the, it's the perfection of his attributes. Amen. That his love is a holy love. And that's what he's calling. Is that like as you love one another. Like Jesus has loved us. Hey, that sounds familiar, right? That's the command Jesus gave us. As we learn to do that, we put the holiness, the set-apartness, the differentness of God's love on display in a way that reflects his loving character to the world. So if we come back to the text, though, because we're, we're in that you know idealism side, you go, okay, so if I'm tracking with you guys, and I think I am, of going, the call to be holy, the call to walk are 
the same. One is just holiness in practice, you might say. Yeah. And it's all about pleasing God and putting God on display accurately to people. And then how does he actually illustrate that in the text? Because I think that's where he goes next, right? Yeah. Well, to your point, right, you you obviously unpacked for us sexual brokenness, sexual immorality. Yeah. In kind of what we've been talking about, it can be very interchangeable, which I think you mentioned that, didn't mm-hmm. you, on Sundays, that yeah. he just happens to grab sexual immorality, but then he he flips it over to start talking about how we labor and work, right? It's I think it just shows the interchangeable nature of this. But yeah, he, he uses sexual morality mm-hmm. as a thing. But I'll, yeah, I'll, I'll let you keep going. But Yeah. No, I, like you said, holiness is the big umbrella concept that all of life fits into. The way that we conduct ourselves in business should be holy, set apart, distinct, different to make God's character known. The way that we operate in relationships, the way the creative endeavors, the the the, the artistic endeavors of Christians, our recreation, our right? rest, our there is a holiness. We we will engage in the same, oftentimes the same types of activities, but from a fundamentally fundamentally different heart motivation, and often with a different outcome on the other side, because our our ruling principle is, I want to please God and be a pleasing display of his character that others can see and, and see a glimpse of what God's like. Mm-hmm. I think that's the the ruling thought in all of this. And I just spilled my coffee on this. <laughs> I was wondering if that's no one right. could see that, but that was, that was, <laughs> I wish we could show it right now because yes. Christian's so, face is perfect. But, but that, that I, I love that because you go, if, if we're called to holiness, which I think you clearly have established we are, and if that idea of walking, which is really the bookends of this passage, which again, I think you guys clearly have established that it is, then you go, that walking is almost, it's the totality of life, mm-hmm. of going, it's all aspects of life, it's all facets of life are supposed to be holy. Mm-hmm. And and he just so happens to illustrate that with sexuality and how sexuality is broken. Yeah. And then he goes on to talking about how we're supposed to, you know, love and engage others or, you know, but, yeah. but you just go, it's just one aspect of how we are to walk in holiness mm-hmm. so that we can put God on display well. And not only in yeah. all facets of life, I was thinking about this the other day, in each phase of our life, there's a different facet. Mm-hmm. It's meant to be done throughout time, yeah. right? Like as we age, as we're young, as right, each each even time period of our lives, there's a different way in which now this holiness is going to be brought to bear. So in other words, like something like sexuality mm-hmm. is way different at, you know, 15 than it looks at 25. And then when I'm 65, 75, 85, yeah. right, there's a, the beauty is, is that it's something that's worked out throughout life. Yeah, absolutely. Which is pretty cool. Absolutely. Anything else on that? <laughs> Everybody looked like we just had a satisfied meal. You just kind of <laughs> provided, okay, well, the, def- you provided the definitive word. <laughs> you guys are welcome. <laughs> I bring to you the definitive word. So, okay, so I really do, I want to land this a yeah. little bit because I think there's some cool ways for us to land. Like one of them obviously is in and around sexual morality, which we're going to talk a lot about. But I actually would love to see if we can explore out of into other facets of our life here as we kind of land it. So, yeah, let's let's talk about that next. Okay, Christian. So, um, uh, first of all, I do wish you could have seen your face when you did that <laughs> because there was such a sense of relief that it didn't land on your computer, but that sense of disgust that your drink was all over you. Yeah, just in my lap, not on the computer, yeah, not it, the laptop. So, anyways, it was, a, it was an interesting <laughs> look that you had on your face. But 
it also caused you to forget something that I think actually will tie well into where we're wanting to kind of land the plane here today. So why don't you kick that thought off and then let's, yeah, let's, let's land that plane a little bit. Yeah. So what I see, you know, within that large idea of holiness, of living to please God and to represent him to those around us, um, there are there are two sides of it that you even see in the in the instructions that Paul gives in regard to sexual morality, what it looks like to be holy in our sexuality, and it involves both the negative and the positive. It's both the the direction we don't want to go, the things that we do need to separate, be set apart from, but it's also the things to be set apart for. What are we supposed to do? Like for instance, you see there in verse three of First Thessalonians four, God's will is our sanctification that we abstain from sexual immorality, from pornea, that we that we stay away. We are to be set apart from sexual immorality. That's the negative to move away from. Which again, on, on that Sunday, I kind of define as everything outside of God's design for sexuality between one man and one woman yeah. in marriage. But then he goes to the positive in verse four, and he says that each of you know how or learn how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust. Like don't don't go in that direction. You you, you actually you're set apart from that. You now know God. You're not like the Gentiles who don't know God. But he sets up these two these two tracks of both separate yourself from immoral use of your sexuality and positively learn to control yourself in holiness and honor. And I think when we think about what it looks like to pursue holiness in any aspect of life, it involves both thinking about the negative to separate from and the positive to move toward. Right. Yeah. I think um, to go like full Bible nerd, yeah. um, <laughs> I think it would be the, the, the way my mind pictures this is, um, is the geography of the Middle East yeah. and like where God actually chose to place the city of Jerusalem and place the promised land, but specifically the city of Jerusalem Yeah, and going, it was separate, but it was with, it was intended to actually be a model, you know, and influence the cultures because it's right at that crossroads of, you know, Three continents, right? Yeah. The transcontinental highway right there, right on that coastal highway. Yeah. But going, but I think what it gets to is is exactly what you said of going, it illustrates, hey, be separate from all the surrounding nations, but also be in proximity to where you can influence them. Yes. And, but I think maybe you can speak to this, the dangers of if we don't stay on those rails. Absolutely. I, I like, okay. So if you, I mean, you might have to maybe yeah. unpack. So I just went full Bible nerd, maybe make it a little more accessible to people and explain the geography a little bit. Or this is where Spencer would say to us, Oh my gosh, like I'm not the nerd. I'm not a Bible guy like you guys. Hey, Spencer, <laughs> could you unpack that for me? Just I just acknowledge yourself. that I'm a nerd though. You, there guys, you, go. <laughs> you guys actually just assume everyone's with you. <laughs> you have to call us up. Though. That's true. Yes, you did. That's good. <laughs> oh, don't, don't validate him. <laughs> no. I'm just happy to talk about geography because I like to nerd out about geography too. But look, if you have a map or a map in your Bible or even just a familiarity with world continents, it is pretty remarkable that the spot of land where God placed his people, even where the, the modern state of Israel is situated today, is right there where Africa and Europe and Asia all meet. And the only really hospitable way to get through there is right through the area where, where Israel was placed. Yeah, pre-plains and everything like that. Yeah. yeah. But the Israelites had the opportunity up in the hill country to leave a pretty live a pretty cloistered, separated existence, be a little holy huddle to themselves up on the mountain. 
But again, God's purpose, like we talked about, starting with Abraham, was to be a channel of blessing to the nations, to make God known, to be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And so in the times when Israel is flourishing, their, their, their influence is expanding down into those international trade routes where now the Egyptians and the Assyrians and the Babylonians and stuff are, are coming to, into contact with this people that are holy and different. Um, the way that, that Moses talks about in the book of Deuteronomy is he talks about this idea of like, what other nation has their God so close to them like our God is close to us when we pray to him? What other nation has such good and holy laws? Like, like as we live this out, we are going to have an impact on those around us. But simply because they lived on like what I like to call the 405 of the ancient world, all traffic came through their territory. In those times where Israel is not wanting to live out that holy identity, like we often see them wanting to be much more like the other nations, that influence flew the, uh, uh, flowed the other way of them much more wanting to be like the other nations. And again, that comes back to the negative and the positive of this whole thing, both what we need to be separate and distinct from, but then the way that we do need to exert ourselves positively. I think, I think uh, Jesus's prayer in John 17 is one of the most powerful places where Jesus sets this for us, where he talks in, the, in that way about how he is not of this world and the people that God gave him are not of this world just as he isn't. But in the same way that the father sent Jesus into the world, Jesus says, I'm sending them in the world. And so Lord, sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. The reason why I've been set apart and separate is so that they might be set apart and separate because I'm sending them into the same world. And so even in a more global sense, we as God's people are meant to have touch points with the world around us. We're meant to be aware of the things that are going on in the world around us. And then to feel that unbelievable tension of how do we be both present in the world and yet distinct from the world and yet serve for the sake of the world? It, it's going to be hard. And the hope comes back to what, what Paul says there in verse 8. This is why God's given you his Holy Spirit to guide you to be a holy people in the world. Yeah. This is not a new struggle, though. Like no. This is the story of God's people Amen. living in that tension. Okay, so now we're in Simi Valley 2022. Okay, so now what does that mean for us, though? How do we live in that tension well? Or how do we live in that tension in struggle? You know, I'll, I'll, like, I'll give a good one real quick. Conservatism is not the same thing as holiness. So the desire to live in a conservative enclave just outside of LA County is not the same thing as being a holy people unto the Lord. It can be different. We, you might want to be set apart politically from your neighbors. You may really fear that all the hyper-conservatives are moving out of state and all the quasi-liberals are moving in. Be ready for the, the tension that that's going to come, but we need a different category to evaluate what it means to be God's holy people than just because we think politically differently than those around us. Okay, so here's where, and I'll, I'll land the plane in my life a little bit. Um, so whether we're talking politics in which I think all three of us came from a pretty, well, you didn't, Spencer. I, did not, yeah. I came from a rather conservative background. You know, <laughs> yeah, I know your, too, your yeah. parents, you came from a rather conservative background, but you also confessed to me that you used to listen to Rush Limbaugh. I bec I was the conservative firebrand in my family. Ooh. My mom okay. and dad were... So well, you yeah, asked Rush way. Limbaugh into your heart at some point. Which, in the 80s, okay. man. Okay, in the 80s and 90s. Okay, so. I abandoned that Kool-Aid early 90s. <laughs> but there's this tendency, again, this is where it's so hard, is that you might have a lot of things that you share in common, right? So like, there's a lot of commonalities. There's touch points yeah. in which we have commonality. But it's weird how we as Christians, if we're not careful, we can lose our prophetic voice, yeah. right? That voice that 
declares the holiness of God out of how we live and how we how we speak and those different things. It is so easy to get wrapped into that cloak of that group of people that you're near, like the Israelites or the, mm-hmm. you know, we're talking Judea. But I think that's where what Christian was saying, that framework is so helpful for me because you go, it's, I, you can affirm that, hey, there is moral brokenness that we should be separate from. Mm-hmm. But if you don't remember that we're actually called to something, yeah. then all of a sudden you go, well, California's going to crap. We should leave because yeah. it's so broken. Yeah, that's but, the only but, answer. Yeah, that's the only answer. But if you if you remember, no, we're called to something as well, which is to participate in actually putting God on display in the midst of that brokenness, then I don't need to leave California. I need to stay here in Simi Valley because... Simi Valley needs to have a good image and and understanding of who God is. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Which again, that plays out, you know, we we joke here and around politics. Obviously there's, there's multiple sides. We can bury our head in the sand, right? Like and miss the fact that we actually are called to be a political people representing King Jesus in the Mm -hmm. midst of this political environment, or we can embrace too much of that. But like even, you know, one of the things we were talking about in our break, it, it's issues of how we, our holiness in and around drinking. Uh, alcohol, our holiness in and around yeah. how power is yeah. is controlled, right? It's and this is what I think is so beautiful about this discussion. It's every facet of life. Yeah. yeah. And and what's interesting to me is that it's not till you're in real life, living real life, where you find out where your weakness is and whether you've embraced too much of something, right? You're no longer you're being too much in the world. Mm-hmm. But then you start to see yourself cloistering off, you know, and and being not of the world. And I think, man, it's just, I feel like it's a, a weekly, daily battle for me to understand where I need holiness to come in my life so that I'm embracing the right thing and foregoing the wrong, right? Yeah. I mean, it, and it's hard to tell the difference sometimes in life. And especially, I mean, I, I think the, the an idea that helps me at least nav- begin to navigate these things is, can I recognize the gift of God in the midst of a point of tension, right? Like, can I recognize that sex, sexuality, sexual pleasure is a good gift from God? And so if I just, because there's a lot of ways I can get this wrong, if I just write the whole thing off, I am now saying no thank you to something that God intended as a good gift for the blessing of his people. Power in the same way. There's a, a, yeah, a history is, is a good thing. Authority is a good thing. Use it rightly. is a gift of God. There's a ton of ways that people get it wrong. There's a ton of ways that even Christian leaders get it wrong. But does that mean we just say, no, thank you, because there's problems with this? I'm going to reject something that God did mean for our good and for the blessing of But I of think that us. is the problem, right? Whether we're talking authority, mm-hmm. drinking, we tend to have kind of an all or nothing mentality, yeah. right? Where it says, well, if if power hurts, right? So we've all been watching the, you know, the Mars Hill thing, and, and so... We were joking about it, obviously being like a never. I won't even gonna. I'm gonna stop yeah, right there. My filter yeah. came on. So yeah, yeah, yeah. We were, all we I mean were, by we that talking, is, is joking, the yeah. first instinct that we have within us is to create a man-centered approach now to not to not deal with it, right? So mm-hmm. if if we have drinking, the instant reaction is we'll become a teetotaler. If you don't ever drink ever once in your life, well, you're never gonna go down a bad path. And yet. The Psalms say that God gave wine to gladden and the hearts drink, of men, right? Right. I mean, he said- It's a gift from God. It's a gift. Right. But this is where I think the, the framework Christian laid out is so, so helpful of going, it's, you can acknowledge the abuse and brokenness of whatever the issue is, power or alcohol or money or whatnot, sex, but you go, y- yes, I want to separate from the brokenness of that, 
But we're also called to that other guide rail that Christian, you laid out, which is, but how do we actually make God known in and through this? Because if we actually embody like the use of power or maybe go authority properly, we actually help people see the authority of God. Amen. If we actually participate in uh, food or demonstrating um, our use of money well, we can actually help people understand the generosity of God. We put God on display. Or we actually understand, you know, sex and sexuality well. Um, We actually can help people understand the intimacy and union that exists within the Godhead. And going, like... But but if we don't understand the positive side of what we're called to, then then all we're left to do is abstain. Mm -hmm. But my problem is I tend, and again, this is just my confession, I tend to go all over the map on not, you know, sometimes with power, it's like, well, let's just stay away from power. Well, that doesn't do any good for us to put God on display when we're asked to step into it. Or on the other side of it, we dive into it and abuse it, right? Like Mm -hmm. we... We we don't want to stick in, I feel like, sometimes these things long enough to actually grow in holiness into them. Mm-hmm. But it takes a lot of failure to actually grow into that holiness. Mm-hmm. And so those two extremes don't ever allow us to actually well, grow into holiness. I would say a couple of things there. One is, is yes, it takes a ton of time. And, and we don't, we don't like time and, you know, sort of perseverance through things. And frankly, we haven't done a good job of teaching people that this is actually what what it that this is what we're called to. Yes. And so I go, like as as a guy who teaches a fair bit, man, this is I've not done a good That's job convicting. over the last thirty years mm-hmm. of of teaching people that this is fundamentally what God has called us to. Mm-hmm. And so, so it's a failure on like, okay, we haven't done a good job of teaching and instructing and shepherding people towards this end. And we're not really patient for the long suffering yeah. that it takes to get there. Yeah, and yeah. the and the reality of the the trial and error process of this. Like one of the things I, I was thinking about was actually the way that Paul ends this letter. When he says in chapter five, he says to the the, the Thessalonians in chapter five, verse twenty one, test everything. And I think that everything there means everything. He says, test everything and then hold fast to what is good. Abstain from every form of evil, and now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, make you per- like completely holy. And I think that idea of in the everything of life, how do we learn to hold fast to what is good, what actually we can, the way we can make God's good character known, and then also abstain from every form of evil. Yeah. And that's one of those things, not only do like... Do we need to stick in there? We need to stick in there together. We we need that sense of helping each other look in this right. and see. No, it, absolutely. Know? And going that, that acknowledging the reality of we're going to do dumb things. Yeah. We're going to fail, right? Yeah. But I would you you went to five uh, seventeen. I thought you were going to go to five fourteen. Mm, yeah. Which which there's also an acknowledgement of hey you're going to fail. Some people are going to fail out of just sheer rebellion and hard heartedness. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Like some of you are going to go off the rails on these things because you want to. Yeah. Hey, deal severely with them, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> admonish um, them, you know, yeah, um, 14, yeah. but some, some of you are going to get this wrong because you're weak yeah. and, and you just don't know better. Mm-hmm. And some of you are going to get, get this wrong because it's, you're just, you're beat down. You're, you're tired. You're, 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 sure. just, you're just weary. And, but man, what does he say? But be patient with all of them. Yes. Yeah. And, and it's like, oh my goodness. Like he just acknowledges the reality of failure and going, Hey, you're not going to live out the reality of this holiness. Mm-hmm. You're going to fail. Yeah. 
So, so some of you guys, okay, we got, we're gonna have to deal severely with some of you, yeah. but we're gonna, we need to just acknowledge that a little bit. And, and so I, I, I just take great hope in that because yeah. I look at what God's called us to and I go, okay. But I think as we move forward and we'll, we'll kind of bring things to a close here as we move forward and we start talking about issues of sexual brokenness or we talk about any other issue within our lives, I think so often in the church we have made this about how do we help people not fail mm-hmm. versus how in their mm-hmm. failure, because we're, it's right, it's not if we fail, right? We are, the three of us are walking, breathing examples of, yeah. of daily failure. How to fail into holiness, right? Yeah. Like, I think like, to your point, Christian, we haven't taught it. Mm-hmm. We haven't taught how to how to walk through this process because we've, you know, we're all product of the '80s, the just just say no generation. Yeah. Well, you're not; you're a little younger than we are. But but there's just this side of it where it's like I don't know if we know how to do messy yeah. and failure, and right, and that's where I think when we go to talk about this issue of sexual immorality, sexual brokenness, if we don't know how to work through that. We're not going to help people through sexual brokenness, sexual mm-hmm. immorality. It, it it is just a difficult, just hard issue with a lot of failure in the in the middle of it. So, well, thanks guys so much. Uh, thank you for joining us and Beyond Sunday. Uh, just pray seriously, like as I work through this almost uh, every week as we get together, that that we've taken the truths of Scripture because we love God's Word. And we have landed it in such a way that in and amongst us guys that are friends inside of a local church, it helps you begin in your friends in your friendships to begin to land God's word as well. So God bless you all. We'll see you later.